For those of you who were not here when I announced it, there is a New Year's Eve party tomorrow night, 8 o'clock, big house dress affair. Not white tie, not really black tie, just Idaho elegance. So, plaid. Yes. 8 o'clock to midnight, then we start requesting that you go home. Um, let's, uh, let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. My year has gone by, and your dates are artificial, Lord, and years are artificial, and we're just trying to keep track of what happened. We ask that you would bless us as we remember the year, that we'd be pleased with what we offered you. We'd ask that our lives would be a greater service to your kingdom as we go forward, that we grow more and more into what your son asks of us, like Gunn read this morning, Corinthians. We'd look to him and be changed. Thank you very much in your son's name. Amen. Uh, as you can tell, we're also having the Lord's Supper at the end of uh, the sermon. Notes that are in the back. And if you're wondering, you haven't been here before, um, we encourage anybody who's a believer in Christ to be to take part. You're a member of Christ, you're a member of the body. So today we're in Luke 11. I didn't know whether or not I had been in Luke 11 recently, so I went to my notes. And it gave me a date for this portion of the scripture of the 3rd of February, 2012. That's a while back. Until I went to the 3rd of February, 2012, and there was no such sermon. Now we've got mysteries afoot. So I had to track. I got, I got the year wrong when I wrote it down. So it was really five years ago, not six. But as I was looking at it, something sprang to mind, something we'd covered over the past, not the last week, Isaiah 53, but uh, we were in uh, Matthew 11 and 12 um, a couple weeks ago. And um, there's a portion of it, you know, when he says something greater than the temple is here. And then later in chapter 13 of Matthew, he says something greater than Jonah is here, greater than Solomon is here. And the same section in Luke, Luke 11, is, was, jumped out of my mind when I saw it. It's about um, the first part here, in, uh, 29 through 32. Something greater than Jonah is here, and something greater than Solomon is here. So I wanted to pick up that circumstance where, where he says that. Probably no other reason that I was in the synoptic portion that was in before. So it may add some, add some continuity to your, your mind. Luke eleven twenty nine. the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, but no sign shall be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the men of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will arise at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them 
For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will arise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. I think in a lot of cases we're very capable of recognizing the greatnesses we claim for Christ, God, our gospel. But there's something that when you, when you just have a, a, a cheerleading, you know, a, a panegyric given with a lot of gesture so that you feel, whoa, wow, end of the year, what a sermon, what a... What a religion we belong to. Yay, Jesus. We sometimes miss the power where we might be able to measure the, yes, something greater than Jonah. Davis preached on Jonah a few weeks ago. And it came home to us our own moral circumstances regarding our matching Jonah, but this passage is talking to us about how the Ninevites, the Assyrians, responded to the preaching of Jonah, and that they have a greater credit than the current generation Christ was preaching to because there was not the recognition, and that's what I'm... I'm the, the generation that Christ was speaking to, right at first, this generation is an evil generation. They do not know what's standing in front of them. Now, thankfully, you say, oh, good, thank you, I'm glad. I know I did not live in that generation, and so this sermon is going to be convicting. All the people who can convict are dead. Long time ago. They were an evil generation. But the things that the Lord points out to them as being uh, practical things they could be attending to, might be helpful to us in the same way, maybe not to the same degree. We know we have something greater than Solomon. How much, I don't know if you ever read that section, I've read it a number of times, where the Queen of Sheba comes to Solomon to test him, much like the Pharisees were testing the Christ, and is just blown away by his wisdom. And she, she was, I think the phrase is, she was undone. Now that, I don't know if I'd get up and, that's hard enough for me to get into a comfortable car and drive six hours to Portland to see my daughter. I mean, that's hard. I don't want to, she's traveling from, you know, Ethiopia all the way up to Jerusalem, probably by camel, or carried by a bunch of slaves, and uh, to just talk to this guy, pursuing, seeking, finding. Something greater than that is here, something that should be moving us all, something should be moving the Jews that he's talking to that are an evil generation. Well, why are not people moved? Why are they not? What's the evil of the generation? Now, the very next verse is one that is the only place that occurs. I mean, there are variants of it in Matthew. No one, 
after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a bushel, but on a stand that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is sound, your whole body is full of light. But when it is not sound, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be holy light. And when a lamp, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Now, if you went to Sunday school, you sang the song, right? Back in the day, what? Mari's nodding her head. She's been in that kind of Sunday school. Um, you're not supposed to hide your. What's the phrase? Hide under a bushel, no, because there the meter wasn't working out for them, so they had to put no at the end. And kids like saying no. Everybody, everybody likes it. Oh, gotta be, this little light of mine—that's what it's called. I'm going to let it shine. It's fine. I mean, it's not deep theology, but it's fine. It matches what. The Lord says in Matthew 5, I have it here on the left-hand side, Nor do men light a lamp and put it under a bushel, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. So, to let, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Evangelistic. Okay? That's what you get the kids to sing. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This passage in Luke is not about that. Uh, my daughter was here a few days ago, and uh, Leslie and Michael and I were in the kitchen comparing eyeballs, capability to see. Both Leslie and Michael are, what's the phrase, as bats. They, they cannot see. I keep getting handed bottles with small print. Tell me what that says. I get handed her phone. Tell me what it says. What did Manisha want? And I suddenly became, I was a god among these blind women. It's like opening jars. But I, I realized that not only, you know, I, I don't have great eyesight, I wear glasses, but I was standing there in the kitchen, maybe 15 feet away from one of Leslie's notes, you know, that she puts up to residents to remind them of their errors. And I could read the note from 15 feet away. And my daughter and my wife were in awe. And not only could I read that, but I could, you know, read bottles without my glasses anywhere within, you know, four feet. I don't know why I have glasses. Maybe it's just the look. Well, what's the problem? What's the problem? My dad was telling me that his eyesight we all have a blind spot, I gather, but I guess his blind spot is a blind hectare or something like that. It's not a small area of his eye, but he can't see what he's looking at. He has to, things have to go peripheral to see things. Why do we not like that? Why do we not like our being able to see? My daughter cannot see the big E on the chart. 
I don't know what she does see, a Volkswagen, I don't know. Some well, we, we, we know that our, 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 our ability to function, I can't, literacy doesn't mean much of anything if you can't see. I'm talking Braille. You can't see, you can't navigate. You ever see a blind person on the street with a cane and you go, that's courage. That is where you're going up and tapping on the edge of a street, stepping out into traffic when you hear the beep because they let you have a beep. How many times have you run a yellow light and killed three or four blind people? We know that primarily your eye being a lamp you are a lamp in one sense, evangelistically, what God has done in your life. But before that, the light has to enter you, and your body has to be lit. You're the one that needs the light. Now, the non-believers do too. But in this passage, your whole body gets lit by the correctness of your vision, it is amazing how God has made the body so that you can do things in accord with your vision, with your, you know, your motor movements, everything else. It's all processing. We watched uh, that new Coen Brothers Netflix thing yesterday, The Battle of Buster Scruggs. And the first story in Buster Scruggs is a fast draw singing cowboy and he ends up killing somebody with his last bullet after he's shot off all of his fingers he has one bullet left the guy's still trying to pull his gun with the other hand so he decides to do it with a mirror gun upside down over his shoulder talking about all the problems of what it is to shoot somebody through the mirror so he just takes it easy and shoots the guy and kills him people could do that You've seen circuses, Cirque du Soleil or whatever. Yeah, what, how do they do that? Well, mostly because they can see what's going on. They can see what's going on. You're processing your reality in an amazing way in the physical relationship to sight. And if your eye is sound, it's not sending false signals to you. It's a great benefit. Back in Matthew 6, it says the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is sound, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is not sound, your whole body will be full of darkness. So the same thought. But then he says something extra. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? 6,000 years of human life and people are still making the exact same mistakes. Because they have the exact same responses to having the exact same darknesses building up in their life and they're not seeing what is true. So the great thing about what Gunn read this morning, the splendor that we see we have in Christ is so far and away and above the greatness that Christ is is so far and above Solomon, the temple, 
Jonah, whatever you want to pick. Jesus Christ. So, it matters how well you see and what you're looking at. This is just a warning. But it's a warning just about you and how, who you are and how you live. So, I have at the top of the left-hand side, who are you? What character do you play? What are your principles and motivations? What do you value? I was talking to someone the other day who was concerned about... I'm big, uh, philosophically, I'm big on self-knowledge. You know, I don't know if a juvenile, juvenile at least said it, know thyself. You've heard that. I recommend it. Know yourself. Because the rest of us have a pretty good idea who you are. You want to at least be in the ballpark of what other people think. And probably more accurate than what other people think. But knowing who you are. Knowing what, jotting it down. So I was talking with this person, just saying, you know, take inventory, find out who it is, what, how tall, I mean, simple question like, how tall are you? This was a woman I was talking to, and uh, this woman, let's just say she wasn't heavy. She was rather thin. And I said, do you think you're fat? Long question. She kind of did. She was like Auschwitz. Already on something simple. Somebody could tell you, oh, so how tall are you? And they might give you the exact measurement, but how do you tall do you think you are? Oh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm tall or I'm short. Some people think that 5'6 is short, some people think 5'6 is tall. How, what, have you ever done inventory on who you are? Now, those questions are not really big, but they start to rec rec recommend to you that your, your vision might not be good. How you're looking at your world, how you're measuring you, what you think is valuable, how focused are you? Because if you don't think that Jesus Christ is greater than Solomon, I have, to, I have to actually have to worry about that because I'm a big fan of Solomon. Not his way with the ladies, but uh, his wisdom. The book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes. My father always reprimands me for quoting Ecclesiastes, and I have to reprimand him for thinking he can kick that book out of the Bible. But nonetheless, I should still be thinking of our Lord Jesus Christ as something far greater than Solomon. His wisdom, his righteousness, his kingdom. Now, the reason the rest of this passage is here, not just I could tell you, that you, what you see is what your life gets, not what other people see. That's down the line of your evangelism. Your goodness uh, and the gospel represented in you affects other people. Your little light will shine. But you're just trying to get enough light to walk across the living room without stepping on Legos. You want to know what's in your way. You want to know what's in life. You don't want to know where great, um, greatness is to look at. Now, this next section, right after this, verse 37 down through 54, 
is a famous portion. You could, you could address it separately. But I wanted to bring it up here where Christ immediately launches after having told you how great the darkness is going to be if any part of your body is dark. Any part. We have all kinds of Christianity in this church. People from different backgrounds. Reformed backgrounds, Baptist backgrounds, Anglican backgrounds, charismatic backgrounds, unbelieving backgrounds. And we're glad that we are able to accept one another. And we're not your membership here. You don't get to join. Sorry, but if you did, there wouldn't be any... You just, do you know Jesus Christ? But that doesn't mean that if I know Jesus Christ, and I can see the big E on the chart, the big E is all I need. If any part, having no part dark, get that? Because to whatever degree your eyesight is bad, you're going to have to live in a way that accounts for that darkness that you can't see in the, you might say, what if you have night vision or don't have night vision? Some people can't drive at night. Well, you have to adjust. I can't go out at night. Or I don't see certain colors. Well, the stoplights are a certain color. You have to account for it. We really want to be sure that we're removing darkness. We don't have, we want to have no part dark. And what I mean by no part dark is that that which is on the chart you see and value appropriately. Okay? You, and, and for us in this passage, that's Jesus Christ and his view about everything. You're not looking into yourself and getting in touch with your own gifts you're looking at Jesus Christ and becoming in touch with his gifts. We with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to the next. That was for 2 Corinthians 3. No part dark. And it's an ample and correct witness of the world around you. You're not, trying, you're not postmodern where you just get to have your own truth. We're looking, trying to make sure we see the world around us, lest our body is dark. Now, what he says in verse 37, these are what happens to people, especially religious people. While he was speaking, so as he was saying this, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and sat at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner, and many of you mothers would be in the same position as the Pharisee, but, he, but he's a famous Bible teacher. He didn't, he didn't go to the bathroom and wash his hands before dinner. Doesn't know this is a good Anglo-Saxon household and we leave our shoes on and we wash our hands. The Lord said to him, now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of extortion and wickedness. I think in the King James it says rapacity. Extortion and rapacity. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? 
But give alms for those things which are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Now, this section where it's, he, he starts to unload, he invited her to a religious guy's house and proceeds to, I mean, he didn't start it, the other guy started it. But he's not going not gonna to take the light back. What is the kind of darkness that this Pharisee has? That's what I'd like you to see. When you read the scriptures, if you want to take something away from this sermon, the end of your 2018, is what kind of darkness is this? Ask yourself that. What kind of, what kind of deception, what kind of non-information am I given? You ever watch a commercial with that in mind? What are they not telling me? Well, just about everything. They would like you to believe <coughs> that the commercial has told you all that you need to know that you'll be a better person and f- no wrinkles if you use this product. And that you can use a spray paint on your hair and everybody will believe it. What else? Have you, have you lied to you much lately? Was Christmas too much for you? Now you're guilt-ridden for all the lies you believed, the things that broke. We know that we have things to look at and everything that goes by and says, what, what degree of darkness is this? But too many people begin with the outside. Too many communities of supposed religious people dress in accord with their religion. They go through the movements. People are happy to go through the genuflections and the washings. Makes you feel really godly. But the Lord is always concerned with what's on the inside. You may the inside too. How would you like that on display? Because we'd love to have those exercises of dress code or ritual procedure because it doesn't actually light you up. You are still, there are people, I grew up in a Southern Baptist tradition, and in the South, in the Southern Baptist church, there is a way men dress. It's a certain kind of suit, a certain kind of tie. People didn't wear flashy ties. You know, when power ties came out, you know, back in the 80s, uh, when money started mattering to people. Thin black ties of some description. Thin and black. White shirt. I'd make a good Baptist. This is a little bit too Anglican, though, this tweed jacket. A little bit too uh, free-spirited. But some of these people were just awful human beings. They looked like men of God. Awful human beings. That if you sat down and talked to them, you say, you, you, you yell at your children and you yell at your wife. What kind of Christian are you? Special? Short bus sort of Christian? Operating in the dark? Or women who sit there in fear all the time because they think that fear is a great way to live. Anxious about everything, and uh, think that they get a pass if 
There's no part of you that should be dark. You, don't, you shouldn't be protecting a darkness in you. But some of you like being bastards. Some of you like being self-absorbed, narcissistic in your depressions. You like it. You'd rather live in the dark. We've we got to take the advice here. The, the Pharisees were leaned into because religion is a great place for your religious tendencies to be applauded. Because everybody else wants to be measured by the same sort of... You might want to say... That, remember the church when we first bought it? And, and before Brian replaced these lights, uh, and there were fluorescent lights up there. Oh, that made it welcoming. It all felt nice and blue and kind of a little nauseated when you came to church. Because everything... And, and it, it, it was like the worst possible thing that could happen to you. You walked into a church and the trim was pink and the light was green the preaching was still powerful I must remind you but I was up against some real hard hard providences you want to keep some of that? you want to get lit a certain way? And if everybody applauds you, everybody in the ground, because everybody else wants to have that applauded. We, we do certain religious things and then argue vociferously for those things so that people will never suspect us of still having a part. Another part entirely that's absolutely dark, the way I treat my wife, the way I treat my kids, the way I treat my parents, the way I treat my husband. You do know, ladies, I mean, I picked a little bit on the guys who might have tempers. Women are just the cause of temper because it's better to dwell in the corner of a roof than under it with a fretful and contentious woman. Oh, are you repeating yourself? A woman fretful and contentious. I read a good article by a woman yesterday, just short, how many times we feel we have to correct? The husband says, you know, two days ago, no, honey, it was three. Well, it really is important to the audience that they know that it was three days. You know, we had about four people over five, maybe over for dinner last night, and no, honey, it was seven. We had seven. Who cares? Well, obviously the wife. kind of darkness. This is why 6,000 years of human history, there are dead women beaten by their husbands, not because they always deserved it, because men lost it, because they're evil. Men were, women were creating evil by being evil themselves. And nobody was stopping to say, hey, maybe if we lit our lives correctly, maybe if we looked to Jesus Christ, and looked what was on the page of the scriptures and said, you know, it tells me be anxious over nothing. It tells me to rejoice in the Lord always. It tells me to love my enemies. It tells me some very difficult things, but that's light. Woe to you, Pharisees, verse 42, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. 
These you ought to have done without neglecting the other. I'm not telling you you don't do, you don't have a religious attire, feel free. A, a program. But, you know, love of God and justice are big ticket items. Davis mentioned a little bit on Jonah, and I've mentioned it to a few people recently. You don't get angry, you just become unjust. You might want to, those of you who have struggled with anger, you might want to consider that your problem isn't, I'm just a passionate, I feel strongly about things. Oh, shut up. You're just an evil person who doesn't understand justice. If you understood justice, you wouldn't act this way. We start examining the light. We go after the light. We seek the light. Something greater than Solomon is here. And she will rise at the judgment, the Queen of Sheba, and, and, and condemn us because she crossed the world to talk to him. You've got something greater than Solomon. And others sought Solomon. Are you seeking the light? What do you Pharisees? For you love the best seat in the synagogues and the salutations in the marketplaces. There is a, a superficial pretend light like the fluorescent lighting. I imagine they felt far more about light back in antiquity because when the lights went out in the little hut you had back in those days, the lights went out. There wasn't this ambient city light. You're driving back from the airport, dropping his daughter off at the airport, and was driving back, and there is the low clouds, and then Moscow was bouncing off of the clouds. None of that in antiquity. Now that in certain parts of the world, lights go out, the lights go out. It's pitch black. And the light was probably very conscious of how much flame you needed in a room to get it well enough illuminated. I saw the movie, this is decades ago, Bull, uh, what's the name of that? Uh, I don't remember the name of the movie. It wasn't very good. But it was a period piece, costume drama and they are playing cards one night and a bunch of men in a room about the size of this chancel. And there must have been 300 candles. But to get light, we just go click and on comes 100 watts. To get 100 watts of candlelight, you've got to have a lot of candles. And they did. So maybe they felt it stronger. Maybe we are too casual about light. Maybe we just don't operate in the dark enough. Nothing is worse than the power going out for a long time and you can't find the flashlight or batteries because we depend on it so much. Fake light, standing in the church, standing in the synagogue, people greeting you with that reverence for your piety that you expressed by dressing a certain way. I like the, the Doug always pointed out this out to me in verse 45. Oh, 44, I forgot to look at that first. Woe to you, for you're like graves which are not seen, and men walk over them without knowing it. 
we watch a lot of murder mysteries on TV. There's always somebody who's hitting the body. And it just creeps people out when they realize there are three bodies buried in their backyard and their kids have been playing over it for the last 10 years and finally they dig up the backyard and there's murder victims there. It creeps you out, kind of. Christ is trying to get that across to you. That's what it's like. We have buried bodies in ourselves. We have... You ever seen a good artist? I, I like painting. I don't paint enough, but or at all. But it's always amazing when you see an artist who can paint a light on a canvas, and I don't mean Thomas Kincaid, who is the painter of light, but someone who actually can paint. Um, paints a light, Caravaggio, Rembrandt, something that has that chiaroscuro effect and the, the light, it looks, like it's, it's, it looks like it's lit. It's just paint. It's not real light falling on the picture, but it looks like light falling on the picture. That's what we do. We, it's like, remember, remember that moment when you realized that Groucho Marx didn't have a mustache? Maybe this is news to you. He painted it on. It was just black paint on his lip, but the, it registered as a mustache. I don't do that. Here's no Santa. Groucho Marx didn't have a mustache. We think things are a certain way. We'd like to represent them a certain way. We'd like to hide dead bodies in our lives and paint over them. Doug is reminded, we've been in discussions and, and he always liked this portion. One of the lawyers answered him, teacher, in saying this, you reproach us as well. Also, Somebody says, you know, I, I just put two and two together and you're making it sound like we too are in the wrong. And the Lord just turns on the, <laughs> turns on the guy and said, woe to you lawyers also. Okay, I'm glad you brought yourselves up. It's a different category. Pharisees at least were in the now, in the moment. They, weren't build, they were building claims about personal righteousness by their keeping of the law. The lawyers were their God help them, the theologians. As I still swore in my notes, darn you all the heck. Theologians. I know there's some good people that are theologians. There's nothing wrong with theology. There's nothing wrong with dressing a certain way. But it's where we create darkness. For you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. There are people who talk about great godliness down through the centuries, and you don't want to ever read their biography. They'll have mistresses, illegitimate children, all sorts of things. They're not willing to pick all this up. They like talking about it in the historic mental sense. It's a different way of faking the lighting. The practical hypocrite, the practical blind person is just dressing up and doing the performance at church. The theological one is talking about the concepts. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. 
So your witnesses and consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it shall be required of this generation. The darkness exists in a reality that's coming after us if we don't cleanse us of ourselves of the darkness. The, have you ever read that great divorce where the people in hell are, have this myth about the coming darkness, the coming night? They're already in hell, and there's this hellacious mystery about the coming darkness. God is not pleased with the Jews in this. We often do it. We build our denominations and the histories of our denomination. Or even we, if we don't do it, or, you know, if it's not Martin Luther or whoever you want, or Erasmus or whoever you want to pick, Charles Wesley, C.S. Lewis, but whoever it is, you can always pick the prophets, the Christ, and the apostles and basically look at the greatness of our religion is only contained in libraries, theological libraries, studying the original languages so we can read it in Hebrew, read it in Greek, read it in Latin. You feel just not quite spiritual to read it in English. All those things are fine to do, but they're replacement light, they're fake light, they're painted light. Because that which the Lord is trying to do in us, something greater than Solomon, um, your body lit by being able to see clearly what is. To see the artificial light, to see the fake light, the inadequate light. You want all of your life to have looked at God's creation and seen what is true in it. In focus, good depth of field. So, first of all, you could talk about C.S. Lewis, you could talk about the prophet Elijah. But first you've got to talk about you. You're not lit. That's the problem. Is, is this light only in the famous and in the history? Or is it here, right now, in you? Um, how is it defined for you? How are you looking at the world and who is saying, yes, that's a biggie and it's facing that way? Is your Christianity nostalgia? People get into arguments about, put Christ back into Christmas. Christ never was in Christmas. Christmas is a nice holiday. It isn't Christian. Never was. Christianity is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. It isn't birthday celebrations. He never mentioned his birthday celebration. We don't know if he ever had a birthday while he was alive. And he had probably 30 of them. And nobody cared. Let's not be a nostalgia. You know what Judaism has become? 
Judaism has become a nostalgia of religion because there's no temple, there's no priesthood, you can't follow the law. So they can only remember following the law. So they study that. They have, a lot. have we become that? We're just memories of our founding fathers in our religious group. It's all going to be required of us. What kind of this is the glory that is in you? What are you lawyers for? You've taken away the key of knowledge. You do not enter yourselves. And you hinder those who are entering. That's the one big problem with teachers. Is we hinder. We like to protect our professional bona fides. It's an esotericism where we use specialty words that you can't get at. Oh, yes, I was looking this up in the Septuagint. You probably don't have a copy. You know, it's like millennials and bands that we've heard of. Theologians do that, or pastors do that. Well, the Greek, this. All, all of a sudden, this veil drops in front of everybody. Well, I don't know Greek, so I can't get at this. And we make them twice as fit for hell as we are. So... Do you value the light? Do you understand what the light's doing for you? I mean, that is a simple question. And do you value being lit? Are you happy to have the light of Christ in you, absolutely, front to back, top to bottom, no nooks and nicks and crannies, no specialty dispensations that you get to be a biatch. I am coming up, I've been working on it for a while, and I don't mean to say this in public because I, I know I'm famous for saying it in public, but I have two confessions I'm writing up. One is a bastard's confession, which is basically bad men, and what you have to confess to quit being a bad man. And the other is rhymes with bitches. Oh, excuse me. Bitch's confession. What it is to confess what we're doing. The light, the darkness we just allow in ourselves. We're Christians. You say, oh, yeah, but you were saying bad words. <clears throat> Don't make me say another one. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. You're merciful to us. We try your patience, I'm sure, Lord. We'd ask that you, as we go into this new year, we, as a body of believers, would be striving to be lit. In your son's name, amen.